Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Amen. Thank you very much. So um, I'm super excited about this series. This series has been brewing in me for a couple of years now. Um, And I'm just going to be real honest with you. You guys know that I do that, right? (laughs) Um, So I always, for a long time, even though I'd read the Bible many, many times, thought, oh, the book of Psalms, it's all written by David and there are a bunch of songs. Well, that is so, there's so much more to the book of Psalms. And so I like to think of, and so we have this great graphic. Thank you, Lewis Wright. I love it. Totally kicking old school here. I love a good old cassette that you had to wind with the pencil um, when you got it caught. And so I don't know how many of you actually listen to a cassette. I don't anymore. But um, I do have Spotify. And I have a different mix for when I'm doing different things. You know, I maybe on my way to church, I might be listening to worship music. Or if I'm in a down and out mood, I might turn on something that's happy. I have a happy mix. Um, currently, um, I just learned how to sail. So I do have a Jimmy Buffett list. <laughs> um, sometimes I go um, really old school and listen to some of the crooners. Um, Michael Blue Blay radio will play some Sinatra. And yeah, I got you. I like that. Um, so I Uh, But the Bible has a book full of genres that is the Hebrew hymn book, which is called the Psalms. And so we're going to dissect over the next five weeks different genres that are in there. And the goal of this, now today I'm going to talk about the overview of the whole book, and then I'm going to dive into one of the genres. And, but the goal, the overarching goal is to help you understand some of the complexities that are in the book of Psalms. Unlike a letter that Paul wrote, I mean, we all, we still write letters, but maybe at least me, I'm not used to writing poetry or writing songs. And there's some complexities within the book of Psalms that I want to unpack for you. And so helping you understand some things that I've just learned, but also inspire you to dig deep into the book of Psalms and to pick one and pull it apart and really get a greater understanding of what the book is about. Um, the playlist the Hebrews would play, their hymn book, included songs that they would sing on their way to worship in the temple. Um, some of them were dedicated just for festivals, and some were for private worship times. They were songs that they would sing out to the Lord. They would use these psalms to sing, to pray, and um, to give praise to the Lord, okay? So in James, we we hear him say, is anyone among you troubled? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing psalms of praise. And you can, there's a psalm that you can read and pray when you're in trouble, and there's a psalm that you can sing when you're happy. And um, so isn't it just like God to provide for us everything we need, right? The psalms, I, I love this quote. It says, the psalms lead us through valleys, and peaks of human experience, but in the end, they guide us to the praise of our loving creator. That's how the book of Psalms is meant to be. I mean, what God's intention is for us to understand some highs and lows and then come to, wow, God is so good, 
right? Um, C.S. Lewis says this about the Psalms. He says that you must read them as poems as they're intended to be understood. No less than French must be read as French or English as English. Otherwise, we shall miss what is in them and think we see what is not. And so that's a call to say we need to really understand what the background is and what the point is of how it was designed. Um, so the language of Psalms is poetry. And so to understand Hebrew poetry will help you to better understand the Psalm itself. Now, Bill did mention that I just started a little new hobby and it's called sailing and I love it. It is so much fun. But my first experience sailing was a little sunfish and they had it all set up. All I had to do was like pull it out and then they told me, all you got to do is pull this line and move this thing and you'll go. Well, there's a little more to it than that, okay? So over the course of time, I've had, I've had a couple of lessons. I went and took some lessons because I really liked it. And then there's this um, person who's in charge of, um, he organizes a, a, a group, a community group that, that goes out and goes sailing. And the other night I was sailing, well, actually, and yesterday I was sailing kind of next to him, and he's like, okay, you need to do this and pull the sail up this way and then you'll get more wind because there was no wind yesterday. And then if you pull this thing and you do. And so I was learning the mechanics of why the sailboat goes the way it goes. I mean, let's be honest. In June, I thought you stick the sail up, the wind blows and you go. Well, there's a little more to it than that. And I experienced that when I flipped it over in Gull Lake. So, um, so I've been learning and, and so it's helping me to do um, to sail better. And so I'm going to tell you some things about the Psalms that will help you to understand them better. So they might be a little deep, but just stick with me. Okay. And, um, so we're going to start with a couple, there's a couple kinds of literary devices in the Hebrew language. And one was called a chiasm. And this is the scripture we're going to unpack at the, towards the end of this um, sermon. And it's a Psalm one, one. And what I want you to notice is you see how it's A, B, C, C, B, A. That is a chiasm. And there's chiasms all over scripture. There's a lot of places where you can find a chiasm. I did a sermon series and talked all about chiasms. But the point of a chiasm often is what is in the center. It's directing you to the center of the chiasm. That's the point. And so Psalm 1, which is only six verses long, is a chiasm, and it points you to the center. And we're going to unpack that later. I just wanted to show you the literary device. Um, and then, but much of Psalms, uh, it, there's parallelism, okay? So if we think of... Um, our language, and we think of poetry, we think of things like rhyme, right? Roses are red, violets are blue. I don't remember the rest, but you know what I mean. So there's, and there's rhythm, and there's some that, you know, you have to have so many syllables, and I was not very good at poetry in school. So, but the thing is about poetry in English, or even in most Western languages, roses are red, violets are blue, doesn't translate well into another language. Like if you try to do that, like in sign language, there some poetry, I'm like, dude, 
I don't know what you mean. I can't put it in sign language. Uh, FYI, I'm a sign language interpreter. And sometimes it's you translate the meaning. And so the poetry itself is lost in the translation. But God, God said, hey, this poetry thing in Hebrew is going to use parallelism. And you know what's cool about parallelism is it translates into every language. So it can make sense in every language. And so um, it takes you through a lot of times they're couplets, but it takes you through one line and then twists it a little and gives you another line. And I'm going to explain that a little further. Um, so this, this quote um, by James Johnston is, but the genius of Hebrew poetry is that since it's based on parallelism, it remains poetry in any language you translate it in. Isn't that amazing? Oh, God is so good. So um, oftentimes we will see them better. You will see Psalms better in a paper Bible. And the reason for that is you will see the couplets you will see, you see how they, they flow together, where if you're doing it online, and believe me, I read my Bible online all the time, but I would encourage you when you dive deep into um, Psalms, get out a paper Bible and read it that way, because you will see where there's breaks, there's natural, the flow of what the author has said. Um, and one of the, um, oh yeah, so this this parallelism so this is really great there's like one two three four five there's five different kinds of parallelism who knew so this one is called a climatic parallelism parallelism which is give to the lord o families of the people that is an incomplete thought give him what and then the second line fills it in give to the lord glory and strength so that is, so there's that repetition, okay? And so, and it completes the thought. There's um, one that's called synonymous, which is kind of saying the same thing. There's antithetical, which is contrasting, but using but. There's synthetic, which was line one expounded into line two, and, and on and on and on. And I'm going to show you a few of those later. So the book of the Psalms, or often it's called to, referred to as the Psalter, and that's not your table salt, thank you. Um, it's composed of lots of different authors. Did you know? Not only David. There's all kinds of authors were um, had psalms, and there's a third of the 150 are actually anonymous. We don't know who the author is. Some, some guess, like, oh, yeah, this one seems an awful lot like David, but he didn't write his name on it, and we don't know for sure. But then there's others that are clearly not in David's style, and there is an unknown author. And so um, there's also psalms that are recorded in other parts of Scripture. And that would be in Psalm, the Psalm of Moses is recorded in Exodus. Deborah sings a song and in um, the judges, the Psalm of Habakkuk, he's um, recorded in Psalm, I mean, in Habakkuk three, Mary sings a Psalm in Luke one and Zachariah sings a Psalm in Luke one. So we see Psalms all over the place, right? So the book itself. Okay. So we have this book. We have, I just told you, there's all these different authors. So how to get to be a book? 
Like how did, you know, I mean, some of these guys lived hundreds of years apart, right? And so what happened is over time, and they, they believe that the final rendition of the book was during the time of Ezra. They had this thing called the Great Assembly, and they, they gathered up all the Psalms. They went, oh, here's that one you wrote, and here's that one you wrote, and here's this pile that David wrote, and they had them all. I don't even know how they did this. They, 150 of them, they put them all in an order, and they said, this is what they should they arranged them. And this is the, the beauty of God. This book is so complex that I think I could take classes for years and still not completely understand it. It is very structured. So one example, it, it's set up very orderly. My husband has um, a, a great collection of um, Oh my gosh, vinyls, <laughs> vinyls. And when we moved, <clears throat> I took them out of the boxes he packed them in and sh put them back into the closet that he had them in, not realizing that there was an order. Like there was, you know, these certain ones and these certain ones, because I don't, I, I, the genres didn't make any sense to me. So, and he's like, you did what with my albums? And I'm like, so then I offered to fix it. <laughs> well, first you have to understand how it was arranged to begin with. And I don't, I, he said, don't touch it. I said, okay, you, you go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. So this book is arranged in a specific order. Um, so it contains, it actually contains five books. Can you see where it says book one up there? So has anybody ever looked at that and went, huh? And maybe some of you already know this. This, I think, is fascinating. So they're actually arranged by books. There's five books. Hmm. What other part of the Bible has five books? It's kind of important to the Hebrew people. The Torah. Absolutely. And so they arrange this, not coincidentally, into five. They often mirror the Pentateuch, the Torah, it opens with Psalm 1 and 2, which is often a preface, kind of explains the whole point of the 150 Psalms. And then each one ends with a doxology. A what? It is an amen, praise the Lord. So if you read book one, you see the opening. And then at the very end, which is like, um, I think it's 41, chapter 41 is the last one. At the end of that, it'll say, praise the Lord or amen. Within the Psalm 41, at the end, the, the person who wrote it put that in. And so these guys in Ezra's time arranged them. And they arranged them um, so that, this is how it goes. Book one talks about David's afflictions and Saul pursuing him. And then in book two, it's David's triumph and the downfall that leads to... Um, uh, Solomon, and then book three shows that Solomon, he, there's a downfall in his era, and it leads to exile of the Israelites, and book four talks about the exile and reflects on, hey, God has delivered us before. God has done this, and he's been faithful, and then in book five, we see that the Lord appoints a son from David's line to rule in Zion. Anyone guess who that is? 
Jesus. So it's a prophetic book too. It's declaring what's to come. And um, it's a hope in the future, um, deliverance of the people, which was happening right then. But it's also a call to what's going to happen when Jesus arrives, right? And the last five chapters of the entire book is also a doxology, five chapters. And they all praise God. So you guys would know what doxology um, I'm not going to sing it because you don't want me to sing it. Uh, is anybody familiar with this one? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's a doxology. Kind of wraps it all up in a nice bow. Actually, we started our song service today. As we were singing, I was like, wait a second. That's a doxology, because uh, I had learned something that I thought was really cool. The first song, we said, all glory and dominion and honor forever and ever. Amen. Right? So that's a call to that. Isn't that cool? Okay. I hope you guys are excited. I, I'm excited about this. This is cool stuff, you guys. This is cool stuff. So we need to understand the different genres. And the reason we picked that to dissect instead of the five books is because just like I was telling you about sailing, like I need to understand how this, you know, how the main sheet controls the boom, which controls the sail, which control, like, wait a second, I need to understand all those things. And so we are going to unpack five genres and, um, and that's going to help us understand the literature that's going through the, the book of Psalms. Does that make sense? So the five categories we're going to do, so some, so this is the, this is the great thing about the Bible. So there's lots of scholars who go, well, there's three categories. Well, there's eight categories. Well, there's, there's seven categories with subcategories of subcategories. And you're like, holy cow. So we picked the five big ones, groupings. And today I'm going to share with you about wisdom Psalms. Then there's Psalms of Thanksgiving, Psalms of Lament, Royal Psalms, and praise psalms. And so they're all a little different, and it's helpful to understand them so that when you are reading psalms, you can go, hey, I, I remember this is what the goal of this psalm is within the context of the book. Make sense? Great. All right, so that today we're going to talk about wisdom psalms. And wisdom, by definition, means understanding. Here's this, there's a quote by this guy named Ken Boa who says, the wisdom psalms are a group of psalms that teach us to cultivate a long-term mindset, fixing our hearts and our minds on what is truly ultimate rather than living for short-term gain. So it's having a mindset that is in it for the long haul, not what's going to happen this next week or next month, but really like just really focused on what's the long term, okay? There's very little narrative in, in wisdom psalms, so there's no storytelling. They, they often teach, but there isn't a lot of praise or lament, but there is some. Um, and wisdom, um, the wisdom psalms can be grouped in three categories or subcategories. One are the Torah psalms, and these ones display the beauty in the law of God. And we're going to see that one today. Then there's creation psalms, which praise God as the creator of the universe and the savior of his people. 
And then we have the historical psalms, which recount the historical events and asks the people to recommit to God. Now, remember, during Ezra's time, they had really, a lot of people had fallen away from serving God. And so they're like, hey, remember when he saved you in the wilderness? Remember when he freed you from Egypt? Those are the kinds of things. And there's often, we tell you, the the author tells you those historical events to get you to recommit to the Lord, to remember what he did in your life. Um, And what we learn from Psalms, especially Psalm 1, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, is that true wisdom is contentment in Jesus. True wisdom is contentment in Jesus. If you and Jesus are good and you have content, then you're going to um, learn what true wisdom is. All right. So we're going to start by reading through Psalm 1, 1 through 6, because it's short. So the way of the righteous and the wicked, that's the label. No author is listed. And it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over all, watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Yeah, so now verse one, blessed is the one. This is, this is going to be one of those um, parallelisms. He's talking about blessed is the one, and then he's going to compare it so he can show you the difference, right? So he's doing a comparison. I don't know. Help me out, literary people. How do we do that in English? When you like a simile or a metaphor, I don't help me out. Oh, come on. Where's my English people? Okay, well, never mind. Anyway, um, so I want to I pick this apart. First of all, the word blessed. Blessed is the one. And that word blessed, really the core meaning is happy. And so you're like, oh, hmm, happy. However, I have a caveat. It's when your relationship is right with the Lord. So have you, have you ever had a disagreement with somebody that you really love and you care about and you're just like not, you know, not doing well in your relationship and is anybody happy in that moment? No, (laughs) you kind of walk around kind of grumpy for a while. Right. And so this word, this is what it's talking about is a happiness that is found within your relationship with the Lord. When you are right with the Lord and you know, you're walking in his ways. Um, and, and so when you, um, so when you do not do something, so he's showing a progression and this is very fascinating. The author says, who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And so the progression here, we, 
it actually, in, in the Hebrew, it's, it is a progression. It's like walk in step with the wicked is kind of like hanging out with some mischief makers. Like maybe you just kind of hang around and you're a little exposed to some things that, you know, God doesn't really care about, but you're like, well, and, and I need to preface that we need to hang out with people who are not saved. Okay. We do need to do that. We need to find a way to have relationship and friendship and then let us be the one who is influencing them and not vice versa. Amen. Okay, so this is the one who you're like dabbling in the mischief with the mischief makers, okay? Um, that word wicked is not as like we think of it as really, but in this context, it what didn't mean that. It meant more like mischief person. Um, and then you're kind of walking with them, and then you stand with them, okay? So the culture is doing stuff that is not what God wants, but you're going to like hang out there standing with uh stand in the way that sinners take so now we're there we're camped out there and then the progression goes to you sit in the company of mockers those are the people who are scornful skeptics who criticize god and those who follow him and so this is kind of a warning right like you're not going to be real happy with your relationship with God if you start hanging out with mischief makers. Then you stand with the sinners who are doing it all the time, and then you start sitting and taking their posture. Well, God didn't do that. didn't come through for me. Well, if he cared about me, he'd do this. But look at those Christians. They're doing... Unfortunately be honest, I've criticized other Christians. I've scoffed at their ways or their thoughts. Uh, That's a check. That's a God saying, hey, let's not do that. That's not saying that you shouldn't have right and wrong judgment. Please hear, hear my words, right? And it's also, who do you take it? Who do you take it up with? If you go to the Lord and say, okay, Bill guy, you know, he just makes me crazy and he does that. That's one thing. When I go over to Ray and I start unloading what I think, and then I unload it with my kids and then my friends, I have just sat down in the company of mockers. And my relationship with the Lord is not in a right place. And things are probably not going to go well with me. Okay. Um, so far lost. Okay. Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this, when others are putting down Christians, it is easy to sit with them and criticize them. It is easy because there are many things to criticize about Christians, but it is wrong because we are then sitting in the seat of the scornful. Instead, we should be out and out for him. Unfurl your colors, never hide them, but nail them to the mast. Oh, sailing reference. And say to all who ridicule the saints, if you have ill words for the followers of Christ, pour them on me. But know this, you shall hear whether you like it or not. I love Christ. So, um, and then in verse two, we see that he continues, but whose delight is, 
is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Um, this is saying the same thing. This is a synonymous uh, parallelism. And the law of the Lord is the law of Torah, right? And it means instruction. It, you delight in God's instructions, his directions. You're delighting in them, what he has done. And David here, when he delights, it's not just meditating on scripture, but what he's actually done in his life. Okay, so this is really important. This is important because who knows that I love a good testimony. Amen. Yeah, that is part of this meditating on the law of the Lord, what God said and what he's done, not only in here, but what he's done in your life. Meditate, recall on that. And when he says meditate, you know, we get a little Eastern meditation. That's not what this is. Eastern meditation is emptying my mind of everything wrong. That is not what God says to do. Meditating is meditating on his word. It's filling your mind with what God did. It's the, um, the original word means chewing on it, you know, like really pulling it apart. Like I'm going to fill my mind with that. So when somebody tells you to meditate or whatever, you're like, yeah, I got that. I'm thinking about God's scriptures. I'm thinking about what he said. I'm thinking about what he's done for my life. When you start focusing on, you know, you go in the direction you focus on. You know that, right? So if you start focusing on all the things that went wrong and all the things that God didn't do and which way are you going to go? You're going to go right over here and sit with the scoffers. But if you're meditating and chewing on, this is what God's done. This is what he's done for his people. This is what he's done in our lives. That will take you in the direction of being closer with the Lord. And day and night, this is great. Day and night. Okay, so that means every morning and every night. No, that means 24-7. No, it is a mirrorism. How do you like that? I learned a new word, a mirrorism. Mirrorism are found all over the place. And a mirrorism is kind of like I searched high and low. Now, did you search up here and then down here? What does that, what does high and low mean? If I search high and low, everywhere, bingo. What if, he, what if I say, oh, he bought it hook, line, and sinker? He went out and bought a hook and... What does it mean? He, he swallowed the whole fish, right? This mirrorism is all the time, day and night. He's not giving you a prescribed time. He's saying, think about it all the time, day and night, okay? Um, okay. Next. All right, verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither Whatever they do prospers. Um, this parallelism is, is elaborating on the first line and then going through, right? So they're like a tree planted by streams of water. This, this whole thing, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not weather, whatever they do prospers. If you stick a tree and you plant it by a river, it has what? constant source of water. If you stick a tree in my backyard this past summer, 
it gonna die, okay? Because it's got no water. <laughs> Poor Bill, watering all our trees out there because this summer, wow, you know? But th this is what it's saying, is you meditate on God's word day and night, night and day, you chew on it, you keep it, and you are in a good relationship with him, you're gonna be like that tree. You're always gonna get fed. You're always gonna have what you need to accomplish the things that he set forth for you to do. Um, and this imagery, this imagery, this whole thing takes, is harkens back to what do you think in here would it harken back to? What is this talking about? Being back in the garden, out of the brokenness of the world, back where God is going to restore everything. And the river, when he's talking about streams of water, the Hebrew people would have known. They would have said, oh, like the river that was in the Garden of Eden. Or Ezekiel had a river coming out of a temple that flooded the place with life. Or in Revelation 22, it talks about the water of life flowing from the throne of God. Right? The author, this is prophetic as well as Anything else? He's talking about being planted right next to God, allowing God's throne, his rule and reign in your life to bring forth all that you need so you can produce fruit. Isn't that amazing? Oh, so good. So good. <sighs> that we are meant and designed to be transformed into the image of Christ not left broken in this broken world. Eden is the ideal, right? Jesus was perfection. And that's what he's doing in us. He's perfecting us. However, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that blows away. This is the contrast to that fruitful tree. So we have this fruitful tree right here growing and it's got leaves and it's got fruit and it's near a river. It's got everything it needs. But here we see that the wicked, the people who go around with the mischief makers, the people that do those things, they're like chaff. You're like, I had to look it up. Chaff? What's chaff? So they took... Um, like wheat and oat and corn and all that kind of stuff. And then they would take, there was a seed on the inside. The only thing I could think of that is similar, like anybody like those Spanish peanuts? Oh. They have that little, like sh that little thing, that skin on them. That's like chaff. All right. Now, if you heaped up a whole bunch of that, what's going to happen if a wind comes, it's just going to blow away. And that's what he's saying. There's no root with the wicked. The wicked is not rooted in anything. They follow the culture here and there, and every time the wind blows, they go wherever it goes. Um, I was also thinking about popcorn. You know, once you want pop popcorn, not only the, not the kernels, but the other, other things, you know, that get stuck in your, ugh, ugh. That's, that's like chaff, all right? Um, and James 1, 6 tells us that a person that's divided like if you got one in both camps, right, you're tossed to and fro and you just, you just go wherever the wind goes, wherever the waves take you. <laughs> like that day I tipped over. Um, sorry. And then verse five, there's, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly. He is hearkening back to that chaff. In the day of judgment, we are planted 
We are there with the righteous in the company. We're there to see Jesus. The people that are wicked are gone. They had no root system. They're not planted. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of wicked leads to destruction. He's offering two options. All right, there's a path. Jesus talked about this. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. And the wide gate leads to destruction. At least four times in the book of Acts, Christians, um, Christianity was called the way because it was pick your way, right? The narrow gate. The way to, G- to God was through Jesus. Not the way to destruction, right? And so you have to decide, the author of this psalm is saying, which way are you going to go? Which way are you going to go? So what do we do with the psalms? I just gave you a whole lot, right? It's a lot. It's a lot to learn. Well, the first thing you can do is read them. (laughs) Read the psalms. You could read them in canonical order, right? Start with one, read them all the way through. If you read all 150, it'd take you about five hours. But you could see the arc of the story. Or you could read them grouped together. You could read the Songs of Ascent together and see them or read the wisdom Psalms together, read all of them and just, and really understand what the wisdom Psalms are saying or what the Royal Psalms are saying or the Thanksgiving Psalms. Um, or <laughs> you could read them. Like if you're following a Bible reading plan, so many of the Bible reading plans will just take a portion of the Psalms. If one jumps out at you, take an hour on the weekend And go, you know that, I want to know more about that psalm. Open up your, if you have a good devotional Bible or or an online app that has a devotional, read it through. Pick out the words that you're like, what does that mean? Why is he saying that? And then look them up and dive deep. And the Lord will reveal to you some truths. And it's so exciting to do. And then I want to hear about it because this is so, this is so cool to learn more about what God is, is doing um, through the Psalms in our lives. But you can not only read them, you could sing them. Thank you very much. There's a song I was listening to this morning. It just popped on my one um, station. Uh, Psalm 46 is apparently a song, right? There's somebody put it into a song. In, in uh, Psalm 98, it says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Did, last week, anybody here last week? When Al made up his own psalm and he sung it, wow, you can do that too. Write your own psalm to the Lord. Write your own poem of his faithfulness or how, much, how thankful you are or how much he needs to be praised. And then if you can, put it to music. I, I, I could give you mine. You could put that to music. I don't know. Um, you can pray them. If you find a psalm and you're like, man, I really want to, you can pray it to the Lord. Read it out loud. Make it your own. Sing it to the Lord. Pray it to the Lord. And, and when you're reading them, you can be encouraged that we are not alone in our feelings. There's a lot of feelings in psalms. 
there's a lot of feelings. And we can take heart in that. We are not the only ones to have had those feelings. There's lots of feelings in there. Um, just as the people in, in um, created a playlist for every occasion and compiled it into the Psalms, you can create a, psalm, a playlist for your life. So what's your playlist? Thanks, Kathy. Is that so good? Yeah, I'm excited for four more weeks to look at different types of psalms, and I'm really excited for you guys to use them in your life, you know, to sometimes, like, I think of it as, like, it helps give words to some of the things you're going through or feeling sometimes, you know, like, how long, oh, Lord, when you've been praying for something and you haven't seen the answer, you know, there's a psalm for that. There's a psalm, that's probably, like, we used to say there's an app for that. That's old now. There's a psalm for that. Like every situation in life, um, someone's been through it, and it's captured in our scripture so that we can have words to come to God. Uh, something else I really love. Would you guys stand? We're going to close, but one more thing I love is how so many of the psalms, even the ones where people are feeling bad, they're in despair, and they're pouring out their feelings to God, so often it turns to hope. It turns to trust. And so it encourages us when we're going through the thick and the thin of it sometimes to bring it to the Lord, not run away, and see as we pray how he can turn our hope up, turn our trust up as we bring it to him. So <clears throat> let's just pray a little prayer of response here, asking the Lord to work as we go through this these five weeks. Lord, would you use the Psalms in our lives? Would you help us to see that we're not alone when times are hard, that we're not alone when we celebrate good things? Um, those who have gone before us have put words, beautiful poetry that has layers and layers of meaning in it. Um, they've put these sort of things, uh, these words to the same things we feel. And so, Lord, help us to enter into that, to create beautiful music and poetry or words of our own or simple things Help us to follow their example in bringing our emotions to you, our circumstances to you, hoping in you when our prayers have not yet been answered, celebrating with you when they have. Lord, I pray you'd help us to love your word more, to delight in your teaching, to meditate on it, to chew on it every day. Yeah, Lord, help us to learn how to just you know, under our breath throughout a day, have a, have a scripture on our mind, something that we just sort of mutter and, and mumble over and, and process. And let it change us, God. We thank you, Lord, that you've promised if we do delight in you and your way and your word, that something amazing will happen. We'll grow strong. We'll have deep roots will produce good fruit that can be nourishment to others. That when drought comes, when hard times comes, our leaves won't wither away because we'll have life from you. Lord, I pray you'd release life into the, the root system of each person here this morning. Lord, if anyone's not yet chosen your way, I pray that they would see the beauty, the health, the life in doing so, and that they would choose you today. In Jesus' name, amen.